Good morning. Man, it's been a busy morning, a good morning. Had, uh, we've just, God's just been blessing all over the place. I, and I know it's summer, we've got vacation people, and there are people here and there and gone everywhere, but had a good crowd in the first service, really good crowd in the LC service. Uh, lots of new people down there, baptizing six down there today at the end of the service. Uh, so praise the Lord for that, yeah. Just commissioned uh, two teams. There might be some of you left over that I'll be commissioning at the end of this service. Just commissioned two teams down there. Um, one going to this week to Kenya. The other going this week to Boston. And so just lots of blessings, lots of good things happening. Now, I'm glad that you're here. And in case you were not here last Sunday, you might have been at the beach and while the rest of us were envious. Uh, let me tell you what we started last Sunday. We started a new summer series called Under the Sun. And throughout the summer, we're going to be working our way through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. So if you open your Bible or turn on your phone or whatever, wherever you have your Bible, uh, open to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Now, if you have a physical Bible in your hand, just open to the middle of the book. You'll probably hit Psalms, go to the right, you'll find Proverbs, go to the right, one more book, and you'll come to Ecclesiastes. I learn a lot from preaching two times. Uh, one of the things that I learned from this morning's message that will help in this message is that you folks need to listen a lot faster in this service, okay? We've got a lot to cover today. Uh, I want to review very, very quickly a little bit of what we talked about last week because I know, again, in the summer people are in and out and traveling. Uh, but I want you to understand the basics of this book before we get into the text today. This book is very unique for two reasons. One, because of who wrote it, and secondly, because of why he wrote it. The book of Ecclesiastes was written by a man named King Solomon. Solomon was the third king in Israel. There was Saul, then there was David, uh, and then there was his son Solomon, the third king of Israel. And he reigned in Israel about 3,000 years ago. And yet, what he wrote in this book called Ecclesiastes really sounds like it could have been written last week. It's very, very relevant. Someone has said Ecclesiastes is a thinking person's book. And what they meant by that is, the author of this book asks the ultimate questions of life. He thinks through life and he ponders life and the issues that we all face in life. And that's why we can recognize ourselves in the pages of this book. Johnny Hunt has said, Ecclesiastes may very well be the most relevant book in the Bible for our day. That's not to say that the other books aren't relevant. Certainly, it's the Word of God and all the books of, in the Bible are relevant. But there are some books that we just find ourselves identifying with more. There are some books of the Bible that we can see ourselves in that book. And Ecclesiastes is one of those books. One of those books. In fact, I found myself, I've been immersed in this book now for weeks, uh, trying to prepare to preach to you, and I, I have found myself saying a new phrase here lately. I said it this week to Lisa, I've said it when I've watched TV, I've said it when I've been listening to the radio, I will see something or hear something and I will say, that's Ecclesiastes. It's just over and over and over I see examples of, that's Ecclesiastes. That's, that's exactly what Ecclesiastes talks about. And maybe you'll start saying that as well as you begin to understand this book and see how it matches the life that we live. Now, Solomon in this book called Ecclesiastes writes from the vantage point of age and experience. And what I mean by that is, probably towards the end of his life, 
having experimented with everything that life has to offer, he's telling us what he has learned from his lifelong quest to understand the meaning of life. And so we ended last week with verse 3. That's where I'd like to start this week. Again, some, this is review, but I just want to make sure we're, we're on the same page together. In verse 3, he asks a question. What does man gain from all of his labor at which he toils under the sun? And because this is one of the keys to understanding the entire book, I want to spend just a moment again on verse 3. You see, you will understand the book of Ecclesiastes if you understand this phrase, under the sun. You see it in, at the end of verse 3. What does a man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? And if you haven't underlined that yet in your Bible, I would encourage you to do that today. You will find that phrase scattered 29 times throughout this book. In 12 chapters, you will find this phrase, under the sun, 29 times. To see things under the sun is to look at life from a human perspective. To look at life at, as life without God. Under the sun refers to trying to, to experience what the world has to offer. I'm looking at life. I'm not looking at God who is above the sun. I'm looking at life under the sun. Life lived without God. Now you need to remember <clears throat> Solomon, though he was king of Israel and though he had built the temple for God, late in life Solomon's foreign wives led his heart away from God. For a time in his life he was what we would call today backslidden. For a time in, in his life as an older man he was searching for, pursuing the wrong things in life. And then towards the very end of his life, I believe he came back to the Lord, and that's when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. But he went through a time where he was trying to live life without God. And so he asked this question that is very personal and very powerful. Look at it again in verse 3. What does man gain from all of his labor at which he toils under the sun? In other words, when you come to the end of life or even to the end of your career, what will the surplus be? When you come to the end of your life or the end of your career, what are you going to leave behind as a lasting monument to all of your effort? That's the kind of question we all wrestle with. Is my life making a difference? When I get to the end of my life, when I get to the end of my career, when I check out for the last time, what's going to be left What's going to be the significance, the impact of the life that I've lived? Those are relevant questions, current questions. And that was the personal, powerful question that Solomon was asking. I read this week about Rabbi Kushner. He tells the story of counseling a man who came to see him. And I'm just going to read you what the man said to the rabbi. After the casual chit-chat, they got really to the heart of the problem. And here's what the man said who was coming for counseling. He said... Two weeks ago, for the first time in my life, I went to the funeral of a man my own age. I didn't know him well. We worked together and we talked to each other from time to time. We had kids the same age, but I really didn't know him that well. But he died suddenly over the weekend. It could just as easily have been me. That was two weeks ago. They have already replaced him at the office. I hear his wife is moving out of state to live with her parents. Two weeks ago, he was working 50 feet away from me, and now it's as if he never existed. It's like a rock falling into a pool of water, and then the water is the same as it was before, but the rock isn't there anymore. 
And he said, Rabbi, I've hardly slept at all since then. I can't stop thinking that it could have happened to me. And a few days later, I would be forgotten as if I've never lived. And then he asked this question. He said, Rabbi, shouldn't a man's life be more than that? And that's what Solomon is wrestling with. That's the question Solomon is asking and trying to answer. Shouldn't life be more than that? And so in the rest of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2, Solomon is in a pursuit trying to answer that question. Solomon is in a quest trying to understand, shouldn't life be more than what I'm experiencing? He struggled with the same kind of issues, trying to find meaning and purpose and satisfaction in life. And he came to two conclusions. We're going to put the first one on the screen. His first conclusion as he pursued everything was this. The pursuit for meaning in life is empty because life is repetitive. Look how he he describes it beginning in verse 4. There is a stark picture for us in verse 4. He says, Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Solomon begins by reminding us of the brevity of life and the certainty of death. Generations come and generations go. There will be a group of people who will actually be born today. And tragically, there there is a group of people who will actually die today. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. I don't know if you've seen this on social media. Have you seen this aging app? You know what I'm talking about? This face aging app. It's on Facebook. It's on Twitter. It's all over social media. In case you don't know what I'm talking about, you can take a picture of yourself using this app, and it will show you what you will look like when you get older. I totally I said, I don't need that app. I can look in the mirror. It's, it's pretty evident what I'm looking like, and it's going downhill. It's not going to get any better. But we all have that, that, we want to look over the horizon. We want to understand, what's it going to be like? What is life going to be like for me? What will I look like when I get older? What will I do when I get older? What's life going to turn out like? Generations come, generations go. And then he says, but the earth remains forever. Solomon says, can I answer that question? You know what life is going to be like? Here's what life is going to be like. One day you're going to be gone and nobody's going to notice. And life will go on without you. Uh, New Living Translation translates it this way. Generations come and go, but nothing really changes. You know what he's saying? If you just look at life as a big picture, life is repetitive. Oh, the, the names change. The characters in the story change. But generations come and generations go. But the earth remains the same. Life is repetitive. Solomon's point is this. If this is all there is to life, then there really is no profit to your life. Remember, he's trying to answer the question in verse 3. The question in verse 3 is, what what do you gain from this life? And his answer in verse 4 is this. If you're just trying to find stuff in this life, things under the sun, if that's what you're striving for, if that's what you're pursuing, what you're going to find out is this. Life is empty. Generations come and generations go. Because life is repetitive. He's making the case that much of life is circular. 
runs in cycles. Uh, let, me, let me prove this to you. Do you remember the movie The Lion King? What was that big song in the movie The Lion King that was so popular? Circle of Life. You see, Simba and Mufasa thought they had made this great discovery. All of secular America thought, what a wonderful idea, what a wonderful song, the circle of life. They were about 3,000 years behind Solomon. Solomon had already discovered that life is repetitive, that life is circular. And to make his point, to prove his point, he gives us three pieces of evidence to prove that life is circular and it never really changes. First of all, he talks about the circle of the sun. Look at verse 5. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it, where it rises. So he's moving from the cycle of birth and death in verse 4 to the cycle of day and night. He said the sun rises in the east, it moves across the sky, it sets in the west, and tomorrow when we get up, it's going to do the very same thing again. And the next day, Lord willing, do the same thing again. And the next day, the same thing again. And the next day, the same thing again. Because it is an endless cycle. It repeats itself over and over and over. And Solomon said, that's life under the sun. Life is just repetitive. repetitive. And then to give us more evidence, he talks about the circuit of the winds. Verse 6. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. So we move from the east-west movement of the sun to the north-south movement of the wind. And Solomon is painting a picture that all of life is like this. East and west, north and south, it covers all of life. All of life is repetitive. And he uses the example of the wind. We can see the evidence in our day of the jet streams. We can watch satellite images on television. We can see how the wind goes in these circles. But how did Solomon know that? He didn't have, it. He didn't have the weather channel to look at those things. How did he know that? Because God had given him wisdom and insight more so than any other man that had ever lived. And with his wisdom and with his insight, he watched the clouds and he recognized life is repetitive. Just like the sun moves from here to there and tomorrow it will do the same thing. The winds, they just keep moving in the same direction. North to south. North to circular, circular, circular. Life is like that. It's very, very repetitive. And then he talks about the cycle of water. Verse 7. All streams flow into the sea and yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, they return again. This is fascinating that Solomon has this insight about the cycle of water that sustains life on our planet. The water that runs into the sea never raises the sea level. It's never like it, it gets full and overflows. It never raises the sea level because there's this water cycle. Through evaporation, the water is invisibly lifted from the oceans into the sky. And through condensation, that, that vapor is turned into water, into moisture, and it forms clouds. And that condensation moves back over the land and turns into precipitation. It rains, and it fills up the streams and the rivers again. And guess what they do? The, rain, the streams and the rivers run back down into the ocean, and the whole cycle begins over again. The cycle of water. And Solomon says, this is life. Life under the sun. Life without God. This is what you get. It's the same. Day after day after day after day. Without God in our lives, it is the same old, same old. 
Now, if we're honest, we all feel that frustration to a degree, don't we? Even if you know Christ as your Savior, you probably feel that frustration to a degree. Let, let me prove it to you. Have you ever walked into your kitchen and the sink is full of dishes? And that probably didn't happen at your house. But, let me, you know, once or twice at our house, it's been that way. So what do you do? You roll up your sleeves. You attack that pile of dishes, you put them in the dishwasher or you wash them, you dry them, you put them away, and then you come back into the kitchen tomorrow and guess what? It's full of dishes again. How does that happen? Because life is repetitive like that. Or the one that I just can't understand is that you, the laundry is, is overflowing, the laundry basket. So you wash it and you dry it and you fold it and you put it away and tomorrow you come back and it's overflowing again. Life is repetitive. And without God, it's just a bunch of the same old, same old. Every day. And Solomon looks at life from that perspective. Life under the sun. Life without God. And here's his conclusion in verse 8. Here's what he says about it all. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. I like the, the CEB translation. Listen to this. It's translated this way. All of life is far more boring than words could ever say. Boring. Teenager ever said that? Child ever said that? Solomon said that's what life is. Without God, because life is repetitive, because it's the same old, same old every day, life is boring. And to prove his point... He tells us two things here. Why life is so repetitive and boring. First of all, he said, human desire is never satisfied. Look what he said in the second half of verse 8. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear is, is its fill of hearing. Solomon said, look, do you know why life is so boring? Do you know why life under the sun is so under, unfulfilling? It's because you're never satisfied. Life, you just can never be content. And sometimes we see this in, in people that we know. Maybe it's in your own family. Maybe it's even you. But sometimes people grow dissatisfied with their spouse. And they think, I need to find another spouse because this one's not working. I'm not satisfied here. I, I need somebody else in order to be happy again. Or maybe you're tired of your house. And so you go shopping for another house, a bigger house, a nicer house. Always trying to find satisfaction. And we, we have... We have this idea that the grass is always greener somewhere else. If we can just get more money or another partner or a better job or a different uh, car, we, we'll finally be content. We'll finally be happy. But just like the sea is never full, the stuff of this world will never be enough. That's what he's talking about. You see, endless enjoyment does not come in the box with your iPhone. If it did, why are you considering an upgrade? Now, I'm not against you getting an iPhone. I'm not against you getting any of those other things. It's just an illustration. By the way, if you get the new iPhone, give me your old one. I'll, be, I'll take it, all right? So I'm not against that in any way. But my point is this. We all know what it's like to have tasted the best that life has to offer, and we're left wondering, what comes next? What's next? I got a better home, what's next? I got a different spouse, what's next? I got a nice car, what's next? I got a better job, what's next? 
What's, what's going to provide this, this satisfaction I'm looking for? Do you know why this is such a struggle for all of us? The answer is found in chapter 3, verse 11. I'm going to give you a sneak peek to where we're going next time. Because next time, Lord, we'll be in chapter 3. And so I just want to read it to you and we'll dig into it next time. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 really shows us why we crave these things in life but can't really find satisfaction. Chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And notice this. He, God, has also set what? Eternity in the hearts of men. Let me explain it to you this way. You might want to write this down. What we really crave in life is not in this life. What we really crave in life is not in this life. God has put eternity in our hearts. That's what we're craving. That's what we desire. St. Augustine, we'll put it on the screen, said, Thou hast made us for Thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in Thee. You see, the thing that is proving Solomon's point that life is boring and wearisome is this. He simply said, you need to understand something. Life never satisfies. Life under the sun. Because human desire can never be satisfied. Because God has put eternity in your heart. You have a desire for more than what this world can provide. Then the second way he makes his point, the point again being in verse 8, that that it's, it's all empty. He says, listen, I'm going to tell you a second reason to prove his point. He says, the world provides nothing new. The world provides nothing new. Look how he describes it back in chapter 1, verse 9. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Some of you didn't know that was in Scripture. You've heard it. You've heard... People who don't even know God quote that verse probably. There's nothing new under the sun. That comes straight out of Scripture. And then look what he says in verse 11 or verse 10. Is there anything of which one could say, Look, this is something new? He said, It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. One of the reasons that the world cannot satisfy is because the world cannot really give us anything new. You see, if nothing really changes, it's reasonable to conclude that nothing is really new. Now, this is where we're tempted to step back and object and say, wait a minute, Solomon didn't have an iPhone. Solomon didn't have a big screen television. Solomon didn't have a, a, a nice car. These things, he didn't have the tool. He couldn't even imagine the tools and the gadgets that we have today. I mean, just yesterday... We celebrated the 50th anniversary of Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. So how can Solomon say there's nothing new under the sun? Let me help you understand what he means when he said there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon wasn't talking about inventions. He was talking about life. His point is that as long as we come across something in our lives as long as we, we seek things that will, that will break the repetitiveness, I should say, in our lives, we're not going to find it. His point is simply this. 
We long for something new that will satisfy us, that will fulfill our cravings, but his point is, nobody's going to find that because there's nothing new. It's the same old, same old. Life is the same. You're going to get up, you're going to go to work, you're going to come home and eat supper, and then you're going to go to bed. And tomorrow you're going to get up, and you're going to go to work, and you're going to come home, you're going to eat supper, and then you're going to go to bed. And the next day you're going to do the same thing, and the next day you're going to do the same thing, and then one day you're going to die. Welcome to life. Yeah. His point is simply this. We long to come across something new that will break the repetitiveness of life. And Solomon says, you're never going to find it under the sun. In fact, landing on the moon is a perfect example of what he's talking about here. You see, we made it to the moon in 1969. How many remember that day? You remember where you were that? I remember where I was. I'm nine years old. I remember where I was. We were in a car wreck that day. I won't go into it, but I was in a car wreck while they were landing on the moon. We were slamming against a, a cliff. I remember that day very clearly. My brother Dave was driving. That's all I'll say about that. But 50 years ago, we watched somebody land on the moon. Now, you would, have, you would think we would be able to say, mission accomplished, satisfaction. But guess what? They already have plans to go back to the moon. Shouldn't we step back and say, wait, wait, we've already done that. And guess what? No, no, no. They're not just going to go to the moon. They also are making plans to go to Mars. You know why? Because there's nothing new under the sun. There's, we, we get to one place and we think that's going to be it. No, 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 no. We need to try something else. We need to go further. We need to do more. It's just ingrained in us because life under the sun is like that. And, and by the way, space travel is simply a form of adventure and exploration that has been with us throughout history. Yes, they were in rocket ships, but in 1492... Columbus sailed the ocean blue. He got in his ship and he went to explore a new world. Same thing. Looking for the adventure. Looking for what's new. And here's the somber warning in verse 11. There is no remembrance of men of old and even of those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. In order to truly get that verse, let's go back and read verse 3 again. What does man gain from all of his labor at which he toils under the sun? Here's the answer. Verse 11, there is no remembrance of men of old, or even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I can prove that verse to you. Do you remember your great, great, great grandfather? Do you even know his name? Do you know where he lived? Do you know what he did for a living? Do you know how much money he left behind? All of that stuff was important to him. You don't even know his name, more than likely. Unless you've done the research of your family background. I had one of those, and I kept going back further, and I had one in first service. Kept raising her hand. Yep, I know him. Yep, yep, I know him. (laughs) I said, you're messing up my illustration. (laughs) But for most of us, the regular people around us, be honest with you, 
because my grandparents died before I was born, or, or two of them died right after I was born, I don't hardly even know their names. My grandmother on my dad's side was Kate. I don't know my grandfather's name. That's, that's sad. Much less, I don't know my great-grandfather or grandmother, and I don't know my great-great-grandfather or grandmother. And yet, they live lives just like I'm living it. And everything that they were trying to do was important to them. And their family was important to them. Their job was important to them. And trying to make a living and leave some money. All of that was important to them, I'm sure. I don't even know their name and they're my kinfolk. Guess what? Fast forward it. My great-great-grandchildren, they won't know me. They won't know my name. They won't know that I pastored Mount Airy Baptist Church. They won't know anything about They won't know any accomplishments. They won't know anything about me. That's right out of Scripture. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come, my great-great-grandchildren, will not be remembered by those who follow. In other words, it's so bad that there will be a day when my great-great-grandchildren, if the Lord doesn't come back, they won't be remembered either. Solomon decided that this was unacceptable. This idea that, that we're living a meaningless life under the sun, with this, and any, any life under the sun without God is meaningless, but Solomon's trying to think, this is unacceptable, there's got to be a better way. And so here's what he did. He started on a quest, trying to find meaning and purpose and happiness in life apart from God or under the sun. He basically wanted to experiment and say, I want to see all that life has to offer. I'm going to find the answer to this problem. I'm going to fix it. We're about to run out of time, so you're going to have to listen real close. Put, put the second point on the screen. Here's what he really found in his pursuit. He found that the pursuit of satisfaction in life is meaningless because it doesn't last. Now, his position as king over Israel gave him unique opportunities and resources to, to go on this pursuit. He had opportunities and resources we'll never have. And in addition to that, remember, God gave him this God-given wisdom that you and I will never have. Somebody said he had the bucks and the brains to explore the world, all that the world had to offer, with no limitations and no reservations. He could do anything he wanted, take anything that he wanted, try anything he wanted without consequence. So in, verse, in chapter 2, Solomon gives us his testimony of pursuing everything that this world had to offer. He was, an, he was experimenting basically with hedonism. Hedonism is simply choosing to make your own personal happiness your main purpose in life. And just doing anything you feel like doing, any way you want to do it, you're just trying to find personal satisfaction and happiness and pleasure regardless of what it is. Solomon exper experimented with hedonism. First, verses 1 and 2, there's the experiment of pleasure. I thought in my heart, verse, chapter 2, verse 1, Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be what? meaningless. Then he experimented with alcohol in verse 3. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. In other words, he said, maybe I can party my way to happiness. People try that all the time. Maybe I can drink my way to happiness and satisfaction. People try that all the time. He said, I tried that myself. My mind is still guiding me with wisdom and I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under under heaven during the few days of their lives. The experiment, experiment with alcohol didn't work, so he experimented with achievements. Verses 4 through 6, here's what he said. 
I undertook great projects. In other words, I'm going to try to make a name for myself. I'm going to try to make my mark. I'm going to, I'm going to leave something in this world. He said, I built houses. Notice all of these things, that all these accomplishments, these achievements are plural. Not just one. I built houses, plural, for myself, and planted vineyards, plural. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves and flourishing trees. He said, I tried all kinds of, of experiments or achievements, rather, and, and I, I, I did everything I could build, and it just wasn't what I thought it would be. Then the experiment of possessions, verses 7 and 8. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. Also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. In other words, he said, I thought this would be the answer. I could buy my way to happiness. I can, I can buy my way to contentment. And it didn't work. And then he tried what some would say would be the ultimate experiment. He experimented with sex. Verse 8. He said, second part of verse 8, I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The Bible tells us in another place he had a thousand wives and concubines. The delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and in all of this my wisdom stayed with me. Watch what he said in verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my work, and this was the reward of all my labor. And then he says, when I surveyed it all, when I experimented with everything that life has, the world has to offer, here's his conclusion. When I surveyed all that my hands had done and all that I had told to achieve, Everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. He said, I, I just tried it all. This life without God, I tried everything the world had to offer, and I gave myself to it. Anything I wanted, I took. Anything I wanted to try, I did. Whatever I was tempted by, I indulged in. Everything that I wanted became mine. It didn't matter whose it was or what it was. I gave myself to everything, trying to find pleasure and happiness and contentment and satisfaction. And he said it was all empty. It was like I was chasing the wind and I never could grab it. It was always out of my reach. Then you, I'm almost done. You'll be patient with me. If you'll see verse 17, it's, it's amazing what he said in verse 17. You need to see how he st states this. So I hated life. Here's a man who had more than you'll ever dream of having. Here's a man who did more than you'll ever dream of doing. Here's a man who experimented with everything the world has to offer. And when he got to the end of it, he says, I looked at it all and I hated my life. So you're not the only one. You're not the first one to hate life. And he tells us why he hated his life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Boy, this has been so depressing all day long, hasn't it? So let's end on a good note. Let's end on a positive note. Here's what he says in verse 24. Uh, verse 20, let's, start at verse, let's start at verse 22. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? 
All of his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. Then verse 24 and 25, we'll end with this. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too I see. Watch this. It's from the hand of God. For without him... Who can eat or find enjoyment? This is the reason I believe that Solomon later in life came back to the Lord. He writes this from the perspective of having experimented with everything the world has to offer. Then he came back to the Lord based on this text, I believe. And he says, you know what I found? I found that the only way to try and find true meaning and pleasure is with God, not without Him. You see, if you look in chapter 1, verse 14, to chapter 2, verse 23, there is absolutely no reference to God whatsoever. In this pursuit of His, it is absent of God. In this pursuit, He's just walked away from God. In this pursuit, He's trying everything that He can to find everything that will give Him happiness, and it's all without God. And finally, in chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, He comes to the conclusion, without Him, nothing satisfies. With Him, we find the satisfaction that's been missing. I'll close with this. Put it on the screen. Blaise Pascal said these words. He said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that cannot be filled by any created thing, but by God alone, made known through Jesus Christ. Translation. Only Jesus can fill the hole in your heart. And we all have that hole. We all have that emptiness we're trying to fill, and only Jesus can fill that emptiness. Let's pray about that. I'm going to ask you to consider this day who and what you're living for. I'm going to ask you to consider seriously what are you really living for? Are you living for the things that are under the sun? the things that are of this world. Is that where you're trying to find contentment? Is that where you're trying to find satisfaction? If so, it is a journey that never ends. Life is so repetitive, you'll find yourself going to the next thing and the next and the next and the next, trying to find that thing that will give you contentment. It's only when you give your life to Jesus Christ that you really find the satisfaction and the contentment you've been longing for. So during this invitation, I'm going to invite you to come and give your life to Christ. We're only going to sing one stanza unless people are coming. But this is your opportunity to say, I'm trusting in Jesus because I've tried everything else and it doesn't work. And I'm empty. And I want Jesus to be my Savior. Father, in the name of Jesus, may you give us that longing for that which is eternal. May it be evident that it's you that we need. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.